Today's study and our, our time is called the 5K of Faith and Family. You guys remember Scott Schultz? All right, Scott used to come here, and he, he used to serve like crazy, and, and Scott is like this runner guy, and he is always running. He's actually on our board of directors for our church, uh, but he is always running, and he flies all these places to run 30 miles here and 50 miles there, um, so I thought of him when I came up with that name, so I just thought I'd give him a shout out because I love him. So open up your Bibles with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 5. In our journey through the book of Genesis, we arrive at a... A very important chapter. So let's pray, because we can't understand the Bible without the Holy Spirit teaching us. And uh, I certainly need the Holy Spirit to use me today in my gifts. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your Son, Father, that you sent to pay the price for our sins. We, we approach your throne based only on that merit, Father. Not that we have done anything, but Lord, that we simply believe Jesus and what you did. And Father, we approach you and we ask you to teach us through your word, to teach us about your character, your demeanor, and, and Lord, what it means to walk with you and follow you. Father, every person in here has a desire to know you or, or at least some sort of connection with you or they wouldn't be here. And Lord, you have appointed each one of us to be here, to hear a specific message, something today you have for us, just like you thought in eternity past about what gifts you would give to us. Lord, you, you have a message. You have a word for us today. And I pray, Jesus, that you would send us your Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that was sent to you in the form of a dove that, that caused your Father to be so pleased with you and, and that caused you to cry out, Abba, Father, to, to God, your Father. And we pray that you would give us that same Spirit, Lord, that that you, when you look down upon us, you would be pleased because of your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, that we could know your word and that we could cry out, Abba, Father, today by that same Spirit. Lord, this is not just a book that we're studying to get information, but this is our dear Father who is speaking something powerful into our hearts and into our lives. Lord, we want to not leave this place the same as we enter it. And God, we pray that you would do all this by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Clovis Chappelle was a minister from about 100 years ago, a century back, and he used to tell the story of two paddle boats. They left the, Mem uh, the Memphis in, uh, where's Memphis at? Tennessee, there you go. Memphis, about the same time, they traveling down the Mississippi River, okay? And uh, they're going to New Orleans. And as they traveled side by side, sailors from one vessel made a few remarks about the snail's pace of the other vessel. Words were exchanged, challenges were made, and a race began. Competition became vicious, and the two boats roared through the deep south. One boat began falling behind, not enough fuel, they had been, there had been plenty of coal on the trip, but not enough for a race. So as that boat, that boat began to drop back, an enterprising young sailor took some of the ship's cargo and tossed it into the ovens. They worked well. It fueled their boats with power. But it also burned up all the material that they had been paid to transport. They ended up winning the race, but they burned all their cargo on the way. 
God has entrusted cargo to us, our children, our spouses, our friends, our coworkers. Our job is to do our part in seeing that the cargo reaches its destination. Yet, when the program takes priority over the people, people often suffer. How much cargo do we sacrifice in order to achieve the number one slot, the number one position in whatever race we have put ourselves into? We saw last week Cain's family. And Cain, in his, in his struggle with Abel, Cain said, I'm tired of you, God. I think you're just being mean to me. You, you don't accept my efforts to please you. And so you know what, God? I'm done with you. And all my kids, I'm going to teach them to hate you. And all his kids, his generations followed. And we saw they went from just running from a relationship with God like Cain. Cain ran out from the presence of the Lord. He says, I'm out of here. I'm not your friend anymore. I'm taking my ball and going home. So his, his generations went from that to hating God. He literally named his son, his grandson, I don't like God anymore. I hate God. Then they went to hating God's people. Anyone who even likes God, I don't like them either. Then they finally find their identity in things besides God. They completely lose who they are, that they were God's children, that they, God had wanted a relationship with them. And Cain's family is like, no, we want nothing to do with that identity. We only want what we can bring to the table. So you had these entrepreneurs, these people who were out being farmers. And then you have these people who were partying and just all about entertainment. And then you had a group of people that were making weapons and making things to influence people and force people to do what they want. Power, entertainment, entrepreneurship, all these things that they ended up finding their identity and it ended up being one huge messed up family. And what's the end of that family? A flood of disaster is going to come as we'll see next week. So Cain's family, not great. But Adam and Eve, they didn't give up hope. They didn't give up faith and they had another son and they named him Seth. And he's the godly line. He is, you know, did Adam love Seth more than Cain? And obviously no. But blessing followed Seth and his line because of godly choices that they would make. So our chapter today is following this godly line. The last chapter last week followed Cain's wicked line, their rebellion against God. And today we tackle the godly line. Maybe you feel, though, as we're studying these two things and we're contrasting these two, that you are in a family that is more relatable to Cain's than to Seth's. You look at your heritage and you see a big dysfunctional mess. Your parents, they hate God or they hate you or there's just major conflicts and it's tough. You can change that. Start making Christ-like choices and godly decisions and those who follow you will reap the, the blessings. They will reap the rewards of a life that follows God. Just start now. Just put your foot down and say, I am going to follow God. I'm going to do his will. I'm going to love him. My identity is going to be found in him. Start living a life of faith, running a different race. So for our context today, we are going to run the 5K of family and faith. 
I chose number five because we're in the fifth chapter of Genesis, and 5K is like something you run. I don't know. It's like far or something. Obviously, I don't run. <laughs> I don't even know how far 5K is. But So we are going to run. We're going to run a different race. We're going to run towards God and towards what he has for us in our family and in our faith. So let's look at Genesis chapter 5. We're going to read this chapter together. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created him and made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day that they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. I'll pause there for a brief moment. God desired Adam to live in his likeness and his image, which means according to his character with his own demeanor. And it's been said that the a father's greatest gift that he can give to his son is his own character and his own demeanor, his name, his image. And God desired that for Adam, and, and Adam, he struggled. He obviously failed, but, but I think through his life, he started to grow, and, and now Adam desires the same thing. At the beginning of Adam's life, he just wanted Cain to be the Savior. Adam's like, we need something. They named Cain appointed, and it was all, all his hope was bound up in Cain. Well, Cain rest, messed up royally, and now Adam has spent some more time. He's finding his identity in the Lord, and he wants now for his son Seth to have that same character and demeanor that Adam has learned now, which is I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to walk with the Lord. I'm going to follow the Lord. So, verse 4, after he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And Seth lived 105 years, and he begat Enosh. And after he begat Enosh, he, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and then he died. Enosh lived 90 years and begot Kainan. After he begot Kainan, Enosh lived 815 years and had sons and daughters, and all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Kainan lived 70 years and begot Mahalalel. After he begot Mahalalel, Kainan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Kainan were 910 years, and then he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years and begot Jared. And after he begot Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. And after he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. Enoch lived 75 years and begot Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. We're going to come back to that, trust me. Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. He's the oldest recorded man in the Bible. 
Lamech lived 182 years and had a son and called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We're going to get in a little bit more to talking about Noah next week. But if you notice, everyone is getting very old at this point in human history. Adam was 930, Seth was 912, Enosh 905, Kainan was 910, Mahalel 895, Jared 962, Enoch was 365, and then he was translated or raptured up into heaven. Methuselah 969, Lamech 777, and Noah is going to end up living 950 years even after the flood. So why did they live so old? And is this real? And answer the second question first, is this real? Yes, they actually did live that many years. So how in the world could they live that long? And the short answer, we're not going to go into all the science of it today, is there was a water canopy surrounding the earth at that point in time, and it kept all of the sun's radiation out. It allowed the heat and the light in, but it protected everything from the harmful UV and, and radiations that the, the sun's rays was producing. <coughs> Excuse me. So, because of that, it enabled men to live a very long time. And we find this in fossil history. We find this every prehistoric or antediluvian fossil that they dig up of man shows extremely old bone structure, extremely strong bone structure. The average man of before the flood could have tossed a linebacker from today over a hill. I mean, they were just strong and big and, and uh, old. <clears throat> so the Lord was really um, with them at that time, and they were um, growing very old. If you want to study it, I love studying stuff like that. Uh, I, I love learning about the evidence that, that scientists find that comes alongside this. I would encourage you to go to AnswersInGenesis.org and read through their articles, watch their videos. They have classes you can take. It's really an amazing websites, and we actually support that ministry as a church. So um, we take a certain por a portion of the ties that come in here, and we support them as well as other missionaries. So excuse me. <coughs> but if you guys would focus with me now on Enoch. Enoch, all right, seventh from Adam. We are told that Enoch walked with God, and then God took him. He wasn't around anymore because God took him. Now, this is a very short portion of the Bible, but it, it comes up many other times in the Word of God. And it's extremely important for us. But I want to kind of paint the picture for you of what this might have been like. Enoch, it says, lived 65 years, and then he started walking with the Lord. And like we said, this is Adam's godly line. So his dad, his grandpa, his great-grandpa, they were walking with the Lord, and and Enoch is growing in his life, and he's, well, I'm going to walk with the Lord too. I'm going to start, I'm going to start seeking him. I'm going to start walking with him every day. And so I can imagine him taking walks with the Lord. And some people think that there was a way for people to actually see the Lord and actually take a walk with him before the flood. We know that Adam and Eve used to walk with the Lord, so maybe there was something to that, but we'll get 
I don't think it was actually a visible thing. I think Enoch would take walks by himself. And he would spend time with the Lord and he would, he would speak to him in prayer. And he would listen to him and what the Spirit might, sp might speak to him. And over these 300 years, and as his sons and daughters grew up, and as they had challenges, and maybe the world around them was falling apart, maybe he lost his job at certain points, but he never neglected the Lord. He was always walking with the Lord. And I just imagine the sweet back-and-forth conversations that he would have. And he's just walking through the woods, you know, who probably jungles back then, I don't know, but he's just walking with the Lord, and one day the Lord... After 300 years of continual communion and, and conversations and continual growth in Enoch's relationship with him, I just wonder if the Lord turned to him and said, you know what, Enoch? We're closer to my house right now than we are to yours. Let's just go home. I think about that. And I think, wow, Enoch has a lot to teach us. And how I long for that in my own heart. I want to read Psalm 84. We read it this morning in our prayer meeting. And, and I just felt the Lord really could use this in our life today. So in Psalm 84, it says, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Enoch walked with the Lord because he knew that the Lord was alive. He longed to be in the Lord's presence, and he was rewarded for that longing, for that relationship. He was rewarded. And it says, Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars are Lord of hosts. The psalm is saying, it's, uh, You care about the little. You care about the humble. You provide a home for everyone in your presence. And I want to be there, the psalmist says. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. It means they're going to be established. They're not going to ever leave again. It's a place we can stay forever and be safe. Then he says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Enoch had 300 years of a pilgrimage. It's longer than me. It's longer than I'm going to get. But his heart was set on it, like this psalm says. Whose heart, blessed is the man whose heart is set on that pilgrimage, who doesn't get discouraged by all the other things in the pilgrimage, all the mountains they have to climb and all the valleys they have to go through. No, their heart is set on one thing, and that's that relationship with the Lord. He says, when your heart is set on this pilgrimage, verse 6, as they pass through the valley of Baca, and the Hebrew word Baca means tears or weeping. It means when you go through tough stuff, when you go through the difficult things, he says they make it a spring. They make it a source of fresh water and continual renewal in their life. They're weeping. They're going through difficult times. becomes to them a powerful blessing. It becomes the part of their life that really matters. It says they make a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength, each one appearing before God in Zion. If you skip down to verse 10, it says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God 
than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. He will give grace and glory, and no good thing will he withhold from those who walk upright. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who puts their trust in you. So what made Enoch so cool? Why, is he, why was he able to walk so close with God? Well, the Bible actually tells us. And in Hebrews chapter 11, we get more insight into this text, an insight into Enoch's story. It actually talks about Enoch. So in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, we remember we were in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3 and 4 last week when we were talking about Cain and Abel and how that whole thing. So Hebrews is really helping us to understand and interpret these scriptures. So verse 5 in Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. He was, he, it says in those, that verse that he was taken three times. He used the word taken three times. He's like Liam Neeson. That was a joke. Very current event joke, too. All right. I came up with that. While we were driving in, I passed the, the Continental and it had taken with the number three there. And anyway. All right, so he was taken. And then the next verse, six, says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So why was Enoch so able and enabled to walk with God? And the answer is by faith. He was not anything special. He didn't have anything that you don't have. He just showed us the way. He, can, he did exactly what you are able to do. We must believe, it says in verse 6, that God is there and that he will reveal himself to the seeking heart. And this is kind of the building blocks of faith. This is kind of what faith is. And many times I get the question, well, what is faith? Or how do I get better at this faith thing? Well, you got to believe that God's there. And that he is seeking those who are seeking him. Or that he will reward those who are seeking him. You can't be wishy-washy on whether God is paying attention to you or not. God says he's paying attention to you. And he'll answer you and he'll walk with you if you want to walk with him. God hides himself from the world. He hides himself. He doesn't just appear in the sky for everyone to see because he desires it to be a relationship. He will reveal himself to anyone who says, I will seek you, God, in my closets. I will seek you in secret. I will seek an invisible God, and I will have a relationship with him. And God says, I will reveal myself to you. You will know my heart. You can know me. You can have that relationship, but it's, invis it's invisible. We must believe Jude, Jude, in the book of Jude, very small book in the New Testament, it, it references Enoch as well. And it says Enoch was a prophet. And a prophet tells us what God wants us to know, what God wants us to hear. So what is Enoch telling us today? And the answer is walk with God by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. 
We have to get this with faith. The walk that God has intended for us is not something that you will be able to observe with your eyes. That is not what we can hang our coats on. He does, has no interest in us living our lives by what we see. Some people think, you know, again, like I referenced, that before the flood, God had a way of actually walking with people. He would appear or some sort of meeting thing. And, and, uh, but to walk by faith means we need to walk by something that we can't see. So I don't think Enoch could see what he was doing. We can't see God with our eyes, can we? He's invisible. We can't walk with him with our legs. It's not about, I'm not telling you, you all have to take walks. That is not what we're talking about. But we can have this reality of relationship by faith. It's a trust. It's an invisible belief that God sees our hearts and will reward the one that seeks after him. This is what God is after, our hearts, our souls, the invisible part inside us. That's what pleases him. It's not our sacrifices and offerings that he desires. It's our hearts, our faith, our trust. That's what he is looking for. And that's what Enoch, as a prophet, prophesies and teaches us right now. We want to know where we are going, don't we? I want to have a road map. And I know people who are even more intense about having a road map. They are anxious. And they want to know what's coming ahead. But that's not what we get. Because God is so much more concerned with who we are walking with, who we are walking with, than where we're going. We will find in the end that if we're walking step by step with God by faith, that we can be translated to where you were supposed to be going anyways. Just like Enoch, he got to where he was going, right? He ended up in the right place. I don't know what valleys of Baca he had to go through during those 300 years, but he ended up in the right place. Maybe they were even walking the wrong direction. I don't know. But because he was with God, he ended up getting to the right place. And that's the lesson for us. You always get to where you're supposed to be when you walk with the Lord. But it might not look like it along the way. It might look like you're walking through a desert. Anyone feel like that? Anyone feel like, I don't know if this is what God intended for my life. How could this be God's will for my life? I'm not even going the direction I'm supposed to be going. I'm not, I'm not even with the people I'm supposed to be with. The Lord might be asking you, as you're walking with him, to do something you feel is crazy or you're unequipped for. This, this walking with the Lord, man, it could be quite interesting and not at all what we thought it would be. And that's exactly, exactly what happens to Philip. Do you guys remember Philip? In the book of Acts, verses, or chapter 8, we're going to read the story of Philip. And we're going to see something very interesting in his life. In chapter, Acts chapter 8, verse 26, it says, Now the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, 
saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So as Philip is having his relationship with the Lord and, and the Holy Spirit comes to him and says, Philip, let's take a walk. And Philip's like, all right, where do you want to go, spirit? And he says, let's go to the desert. Well, that's not part of my plan. That's not in my five-year plan, God. I don't have that walking in the desert going down towards the middle of nowhere. That is not at all what I have planned or expect in my life. But the Spirit said, come on. Come on, bro. Let's go. So he arose and went. Philip is walking with the Lord, like Enoch before him. A man after Enoch's heart and Enoch's spirit, like we should. He says, he, he behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge over all her treasury and had come down to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake his chariots. All right, so Philip, he's on this walk that he didn't necessarily want to go on. No one ever wants to walk through a desert. And then the Spirit tells him, see that chariot being pulled by all those horses going really fast? I want you to run and catch up to him and overtake him. Well, that sounds mighty difficult, especially if he's just been walking in the desert. I can't imagine Philip being too full of energy right now. And so I see that the Spirit, though, will empower him to do whatever crazy thing he's asking him to do. So is the Lord asking you to do something crazy, even in the desert of your life right now? Maybe this is the hardest time in your life. Maybe you're just dry. Maybe you feel like there isn't much fruit happening in your life right now. And then God is asking you to do just something crazy. Just be extra loving to someone or whatever he's calling you to do. And you know what that is. And the Spirit is calling you and he's saying, do it. And you're like, that's impossible. But when we're walking by faith, we just step out. Philip just picked up his foot and started running. And guess what? He overtook it. It says here, verse 30, So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The, the place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before her, the shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip asked, or said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. So man, 
Philip gets to be a part of the salvation of this eunuch who is going to take then the gospel down to all of Ethiopia. And Ethiopia is probably going to undergo some major work of God because of the obedience of Philip. That Philip would go to where he didn't necessarily want to go. And he would walk with God that whole way. And he would listen to the voice of the Spirit. And he would be bold to preach Jesus. Philip is being used in mighty ways. But the problem is he's still in the middle of the desert. Right? And God did have another plan for him. God does have another place for him to be. God does have another work for him to be involved with. And so look what happens. He baptized him. Then verse 39, Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. He's like, oh well, Philip's gone. I'm going to go rejoicing. Just go back to... uh, What? This is crazy. But Philip was found at Azotos. And passing through, he preached to all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So he was going down south of Jerusalem. He baptizes him down here. And then he appears all the way up on the north side. It's a sideways rapture. And he appears all the way up there. And he just keeps going, keeps walking with the Lord, going all the way to Caesarea, okay? So... Philip got to where he was going. Enoch got to where he was going. How does this happen? Because when we follow the Lord, when we just walk with the Lord, he takes care of the situations. Philip, you know, Philip was effective and he was used in his evangelist because he knew how to flow with the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit wanted him to do. He just listened. He wasn't the one leading the way in the walking. He's just like, oh, Spirit wants me to go over here. Oh, Spirit wants me to talk to that guy. Oh, Spirit wants me over here. Oh, now I'm, where am I? I don't even know. But he's just walking with the Spirit. Well, you say, that's, that's ridiculous. I mean, that's mystical. That's bizarre. How can you have a relationship with an invisible Spirit and know it in that power where he just leads you in every way? That's what faith is. Faith is sees the invisible. Faith has a relationship with the invisible. Faith trusts the invisible God. What does Enoch teach us? That God is there and that God rewards those who seek him. Philip demonstrates the life that we can have. The spirit, that spirit that's invisible, that's how we walk with the Lord today. Having a real legitimate relationship with the spirit that we can't see. And I can understand when the world thinks that Christians are bizarro for talking with invisible things. I get it. It takes faith. What kind of faith? The faith of a child. Say, I believe that God hears me. He hears my thoughts and my heart, and he knows that my heart loves him, and my heart wants to hear his voice. And do you think God would ever let his child believe that he was going to take care of them and then purposefully not take care of them. God would never do that. God is a good father. He would always take care of the child who just says, I'm yours. I'll, I'll, I'll trust you, Lord. When we, when we stop letting what we see get in the way, the unseen can become very real to us. Following Jesus and walking with God may take us in some bizarre directions. 
but we will always end up in the place we're supposed to be. God is not limited to our locations or our situations. And all that is because God is the destination. This is just the pilgrimage. This is just the journey. He is the destination, and we're going to get there. The Holy Spirit can make us fruitful no matter where we are in this journey. It's like the Nile River produces a fertile strip of, of growth in the middle of a dry and lifeless desert. The Spirit can and does cause us to be fruitful and loving in the most wild and difficult situations in our life. That's what he offers us. That's what walking by faith is. But some believers like to give excuses as to why they aren't fruitful right now in their life. Have you seen the situation I'm in? I mean, you cannot expect me to be loving in the situation I'm in right now. Have you met my boss? My boss is a jerk. God surely doesn't expect me to be loving and bold to him in this situation. Have you met my wife? Have you met my kids? All these excuses are used very commonly. Have you seen my health? I can't be used by God right now, and I, I'm certainly not going to trust some invisible God right now, because have you seen what I'm going through? Have you seen the valley that I'm in? Things just haven't been easy for me. My parents, my brothers and sisters hated me. They dunked me in the toilet when I was young. My parents were jerks. My parents were unfair. My parents, this, that, this desert, that desert, God, your spirit led me into the desert. You expect me to walk with you there? But the truth is, as you guys are getting by my sarcasm, is that they refuse to walk in humility and faith with an invisible God. It has nothing to do with their circumstances. They don't want to humble themselves to have a faithful relationship with an invisible God. God says, I'm invisible, tough. You can walk with me, though. But many believers won't do it. They refuse. They say, you know, and I've, ex I've seen and I've experienced that as you walk with him, even through the most difficult things, I, I know we go through some difficult things, and I don't minimize any of those at all. But as we walk through those, as we walk with him through those, he will lift you up as a good father always does. He will lift you up. And you will end up translated to where, to a whole different world and where he wanted you to be all along. The desert wasn't outside of his plan. And it wasn't outside of his presence. And so, if we just stay close to him, we're going to be in that fruitful area. We're going to be in that, that fertile land by the river if we stay close to him, if we walk with him like Enoch, like Philip. Enoch went to the actual presence of the Lord. Philip went to another place to serve him where his heart really desired to serve him. But what does that mean for you? What is the major application for us in this? Stop trying to change your situations. Start walking with God more. 
entrust your situation to him, or if I could invent a new way to use this word, faith your situation to him. Trust your situation to him. Whatever I'm going through, God, all right, I accept it as from your hands. I'm in the desert. Where's the, where's the eunuch? Who can I be talking to about you? Who can, how can I be serving you? How can I be loving? So how do you walk with God? We believe. It's all about believing, all about faith. Enoch, he's, he's teaching us this. Okay, but how does that look practically to us? In 2015, today, how does that look to us? Well, you begin your day, you ask him to speak to you, which is praying. You pray. Then you pick up your Bible and read. You study. You remain there. You give it time to speak and to soak in. It's like, talk, it's like taking a walk with a friend. You pray. You speak with him. You let him speak with you. You listen to what it says. You listen. This is a walk with him. Then you ask him for the strength to do what he just told you to do, which is praying again. Then you repent when you fail because you didn't really believe, which is praying again. Then you praise him when you honor him and receive his strength to do what he asked you to do. That's how we practically walk with him today, which is the exact same way that Enoch did it, which is the exact same way Philip did it and the same way Jesus did it. This is the way it works. It's a life of faith and humility. It's a relationship. Daily, consistent interaction and a real back and forth with an invisible God, it's possible. And it's the highest aim of any man. Enoch crushed it. Philip nailed it. And you have been called to it. A real, invisible life and relationship. Loving God more than your circumstances, your own comfort, and not neglecting him as a person. It's so easy for us to be going through a difficult time and then saying, I, I don't feel like reading my Bible right now. I don't feel like praying right now. And God is like, what? That's all this is for. It's for you to read your Bible and pray. You know, it's very revealing to hear the excuses that people use and that I use when I don't want to walk with God this way. I hear it all the time. I get bored reading the Bible. Is your job not boring? <laughs> Is brushing your teeth ever boring? Where's the excitement there? I don't hear anyone saying, I'm thrilled to brush my teeth every day, but you do it. I hope. You do those things just fine. It, it's laziness. It's selfishness. It's flesh that says, I want to be entertained. I want reading the Bible to be the most exciting thing. And God's like, I am exciting, but you got to get to know me. you got to walk with me. I hide myself from the surface because I want deep. I want a deep relationship with you. I want you to seek me. Put in some time. There's a great rap song that says, if you want to know him, you got to dig. Get your Bible, check. Spiral, check. Highlighter, check. Now dig, dig. It's a great song. Anyway, if you want to know him, you got to dig. 
God hides himself in the world, but he reveals him to the heart that closes the door and diligently seeks God with their whole heart. So, no, that's what Enoch did, man. Enoch taught us that. I'm not sure, another excuse you hear is, I'm not sure if it works to just read the Bible. And some invisible God will just somehow speak into my heart. Seems all very mystical and magical. It's weird. Says the person with the Bluetooth in his ear. We have to believe that he is. We can't see him, but we can have a deeper, more genuine, more true relationship with him than we can have with any man. The person that you're sitting next to, the person you're looking at right now, you can have a deeper, more real relationship with the Spirit of God than you can with any of us because we're compatible with him. He is perfect, and, he's a per- and it's the perfect use of our time to walk with him. That's what our lesson is today. So, the rest of the chapter was a bunch of names, right? And did you all zone out as I was reading the names? Well, there is a huge truth when we read these names. First of all, if your name was in there, you'd be interested, and you'd be like, hey, did you see my name in there? It was right there. God put me in the Bible. So if your name was there, so these guys are pretty pumped that their name was in there. But more than that, these guys were that godly line of Seth that are walking with God, all right? Now, they probably weren't even popular in the world back then because the world was growing in their entertainment and their power and their weapons. And so this godly line, they're walking, they're walking with the Lord, and they're just a part of what God is going to do, a part of the story that God is writing to the world. And they didn't know it. They had no idea. Enoch, he gets to be a big part of it because of the magical thing that we just studied. But the whole line, they're a part of God's story, and I want to show it to you. If you all spoke Hebrew, this would be a lot easier. But since you can't, and I can't either, we have (laughs) blueletterbible.com, which can translate anything, all the Hebrew. You can read all the, the definitions. You can see it in Hebrew. You can have, it'll teach you how to, to use concordances and dictionaries and vines and all these things, strongs, to understand what's going on here. But I want you to see the names, the names. The way God is teaching us a lesson today is through these names. So check out Adam. When you look it up, it means red or man, the color of of blood and life. So it means man. It's, It's what made man different, man. Seth means appointed. Enosh means men. All right? His son was Canaan, which means sorrow. His son was Mahaliel, which means blessed or praise in the name of God. Mahaliel, blessed God. Jared is from the, the verb which means shall come down shall come down. Enoch, which we looked at, his, his word means, uh, his name means teaching. And Methuselah means death, or to bring forth death, or to send forth death. In other words, his death shall bring, which is very interesting because the year that Methuselah died, guess what happened? The flood came. So his death shall bring. That was very interesting. Prophecy. Lamech, his son, means uh, despairing or lamenting, sorrowful, okay? And then Noah, 
And his word means comfort or to bring relief. Because his dad said, Noah's going to be the one that brings relief to us. In other words, he would be saved in the flood, right? Well, if I were to just read this in Hebrew, and we all spoke Hebrew, all of you would be like, wait, what, what was that? So let me read to you the definitions of these words, the definitions of these names, just in order. And I'm going to add a word, is, and I'm going to add a word, but. Will you allow me those two uh, words? I'm going to add those in just to make sense for us, okay? All right. Man is, I'm going to add that, man is appointed mortal sorrow. But the blessed God shall come down teaching that his death shall bring the despairing comfort. Whoa. It just blows my mind. Absolutely rocks my world. Let me read that again. Man is appointed moral sorrow, right? Because man sinned, death followed, no one can survive it. It's bad. Man is appointed mortal sorrow, death. And it's sad. But the blessed God shall come down. Well, Jesus was God. He came down teaching that his death shall bring the despairing, all those men suffering in sin, comfort. One of the most awesome stories that God is giving the gospel thousands of years before Jesus would even come, God would give men hope through the very names. It was part of the story. And look, look at this godly line of Seth. Adam and Seth, they're just like, we're just going to honor the Lord. We have no idea what's going on. We have, we're going through all kinds of difficulties in our life. But they were used to write the story of God. Your life matters. Your family matters. It might not look like it. Maybe we're not the most popular people. Maybe we don't have fame. Maybe we don't have the greatest skills or talents. But my life can be used by God to bring a message of his salvation to the world. And this family, I mean, if one of them would have not been a part of it, it the whole thing wouldn't make any sense. And that's why God needs you. Our church needs you. God wants you to be used to tell his story to the world. These guys got to be part of it just by their names. How would they have known? They would have never known. Maybe they, one of them started a big company and they thought that's what it was going to be all about. And God's like, no, it's just your name. It's just your name. But I've had my name since I was born. It was given to me. It was a gift. Yeah, that's how grace works, huh? It's just a gift. It's just given to you. When you decide to honor God in your family, it's amazing to see what God does with us. We need to walk by faith like Enoch teaches us to. Walk by faith in our families. Walk with God in humility and faith. Faith helps us answer this question. Where am I going to end up? Faith helps us answer that question. Where am I going to end up? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, which is faith, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. It means it's going to be weird. It's going to be invisible. You're not going to be able to understand it. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. You're going to get there. 
It might take you some crazy places, but you're going to get there. As Psalm 84 told us, each one arrives in Zion with their God. Each one arrives. You're going to get there. Faith tells me, how, where am I going to end up? Faith tells me. And then, does it really work? That question is answered by our humility as we walk with the Lord. Does it really work? In, in 2 Chronicles 33, you know, walking with faith, doing this invisible thing, do, you know, trusting an invisible God, we have to humble ourselves and say, it's not about me, it's about what you want, God. I'm going to humble myself before you. It's all about you. And in 2 Chronicles 33, there's this guy, Manasseh, and Manasseh teaches us a lesson about how committed God is to humility. Manasseh was completely evil. Manasseh was horrendous, the worst king. He went 55 years doing everything against God, trying to blot out the name of God, and he was the king of Israel. He brought in all the other gods and set them up in the temple and sacrificed babies. I mean, he set up altars in Dan and altars up north and down south, everywhere where you could bring your baby if you didn't want to take care of him to just kill him and burn him to offer it to this god Molech. He is wicked, oh, awful, horrible guy. He, he blasphemed God. He hated God. So God brings judgment into his life. Why? Because God's a big, mean God. No, because God loved him. God had grace on him and compassion on him. And so God brought a judgment into his life, and he was led with a hook in his cheek, and they led him off into captivity into Assyria. And in that place of brokenness, as he's old, he's about to die, Manasseh turns to the Lord. And it says Manasseh greatly humbled himself and he repented of everything. And he's like, God, I just, I screwed up. And God heard his prayer and brought him back from captivity and restored to him the kingdom. Now his son was like the worst king ever, like worse than his dad. So it didn't change all the consequences from a life of wickedness, but God heard his prayer. God received him, and we're going to see Manasseh in heaven. Why? Because God says, I will walk with the humble. It's very important as you walk with God that you understand it's about humility. God says in James 4, 6, I will give grace to the humble. I'll work in that, but I oppose the proud. I do not work with the prideful. I do not walk with the prideful. I don't work with the prideful. Nothing of mine goes in blessing towards the prideful. But the humble, man, I'm there. That's what I want. That's where I'm at. Job, we know Job said, I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you and I abhor myself in, and repent in dust and ashes. Job thought he knew God, but he had an inner pride. And when he finally came to the point where he really could see God, where his walk with God was close enough to where he could look up and be like, oh, I realize now. I get it. God is so flippin' unbelievable, amazing, so wonderful. I am terrible. I am the one that's wrong. You are right. I am the one that's broken, and you are complete. 
And Job repented in this, in this, in dust and ashes, he said. It changed his whole life. It changed his walk with the Lord. And as we are walking like Noah, we have to keep those two relational realities always at the forefront of our life. God is not interested in what you sacrifice for him or give up for him. Or like, oh, I, I shared the Lord with this many people, or I did this many things, or do you see how much I tithed? He doesn't care. He wants humility, and he wants faith. He says, that's how you walk with me. That's how this gets done. And then you can be part of my story that I'm writing in your life. Only then. So do you want to be a part of that? Amen, we do, right? Let's all stand up. We're going to sing a song. And next week we're going to talk about the flood and Noah. It's going to be fun. You should invite someone who's thirsty. Because there'll be a lot of water. <laughs> Bad joke. All right. So let's... Uh, Let's spend a moment in prayer. God, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, we thank you so much for um, your commitment to humility, God, that it's never outside our reach to walk with you. Father, that even if we've walked a, a thousand paces in the wrong direction and ran as far as we can from you, Father, you are one step, one turn of the heart back, one moment of repentance. And Lord, you are right next to us, walking with us, because you're a God who comes to us. You're a God who invades our world. You're a God who comes to me. And Lord, I, I pray that if anyone in here would, would desire in their hearts to turn to you, and to walk with you in humility, just broken over their sin, and in faith, and trusting an invisible God that you see and you will reward them when they seek you. God, I pray that they would feel now is the time to do that. I pray that you would put it in their heart to turn to you right now, that your loving, invisible hands would draw them with cords of love. It's your goodness that leads us to repentance. It's your love that calls us out from this wicked world and our own selfish, selfish hearts. So, Lord God, we pray that you would have complete sovereignty in this room, that every heart in this room would be absolutely amazed with you and absolutely surrendered to you as their Savior, their God. And Lord, I pray that this week would be filled with walking with you, would be filled with the word, and would be filled with prayer, would be filled with these relational realities of humility and faith, Father. We need you so much. We need to walk with you. Because we don't know what valleys are ahead of us this week. We don't know what deserts your spirit is going to take us into. But we know the God whose spirit is given to us. We want to walk with you, Lord. If anyone in here has never believed that Jesus Christ was their substitute on the cross, that Jesus Christ came to this world to pay your penalty, now is the time to turn to him, and I pray you would do that now.
I pray this would be the moment you say, my life has been bought with a price and I will follow Jesus Christ forever. And I will turn away from all my ambitions, all of my dreams and aspirations. I lay at the feet and I will receive the blood that drips off those feet for me to cleanse me of my sin. I will believe in the invisible work of Jesus Christ in my heart. In Jesus' name we pray in power. Amen.